Good evening, everyone. I'm Seth. I'm a new senior staff worker. Like many of you, this is my first in-person ANCON. How good is it? I have the privilege of serving alongside Celia to promote our LRLR vision. And if you are a grad or a supporter here tonight, I would like to extend a warm welcome to you. We are so grateful to have you with us, whether online or in person. As we come to hear God's word, would you join me and pray and ask him that he would speak to us? Let's pray. Our Father, you are good and generous. Show us your glory. Grip us by your grace so that we might be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. For our joy, for the sake of the less reached and the less resourced across the world, and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Greed comes naturally. But where does generosity come from? Never had to teach greed to my kids. They're cute. Do you see the picture there? They're so cute. I miss them. They are cute, but sometimes they are basically seagulls. <laughs> Everything is, mine, 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 mine. Greed comes naturally. It grows so easily. You know, my kids are only just starting to see advertisements. But every day, every single day, the average adult, you, are assaulted by between four and 10,000 ads. Random jingles and images piling desires upon desires to fan the flames of our greedy hearts. Did somebody say? Menu log. Wash the cat. Treat yourself. Let's see if you guys got this one. I don't care. It says something about me and maybe you that all my ads are food related. What do your ads say about you? You know, my kids haven't had to give much thought yet to the global economy, whether greed is good or whether there might be something bad about the colonial rapacious plundering of impoverished peoples, forcing an estimated 45.8 million people into poverty today. Forced labor. Greed comes naturally. It grows so easily. And once it grows to the global scale, greed never has enough. America first. Russia trying to take what it wants. Australia, one of the richest nations that has ever been, endlessly anxious about making budget. Is it any wonder that Jesus speaks more about money, more about greed and generosity, than he does about sex, violence, or even heaven and hell? In a world where greed comes naturally, where global gen where, where does global generosity come from? It's an important question for us tonight as we consider our place in God's global generosity, as we who are reached with all of our resources consider the LRLR, the less reached and the less resourced. Where does global generosity come from? This was an important question for the Apostle Paul as he considered his Corinthian problem. Paul had proclaimed Jesus all around the known world. In Achaia, where the Corinthians came from. In Asia, where the Ephesians lived. 
in Macedonia, where the Philippians and the Thessalonians were. But now, decades on, Paul has heard that way back in Jerusalem, the poor Jewish believers who he calls saints, the saints were doing it tougher than we in our wealth can imagine. These Jewish Christians were already hard-pressed by persecution. Now famine has led to widespread poverty. So Paul has come up with a plan to take up a collection to gather goods from the nations, from non-Jewish believers for Jewish believers. Not only would this meet a Jewish need, but it would prove to the Jewish Christians and to everyone else that the faith of these non-Jewish believers in the Jewish Messiah was a genuine faith, a generous faith. And at first, the Corinthians, they were eager to give. They pledged themselves to serving the poor, the materially less resourced in Jerusalem. But over time, the Corinthians lost interest in global generosity. We would never lose any interest in global generosity. We would never forget that. But the Corinthians, they forgot the poor in Jerusalem and all about their pledge. Which brings us to our passage tonight where Paul solves his Corinthian problem by stirring them up to global generosity, where we will find an answer to our question, a source of global generosity that not only makes pledges, but fulfills them. Feel free to use your outline there. It's on page 61. Keep your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where we see that a source of global generosity isn't a guilt trip, but a grace trip. Not by guilt, but by grace. Look with me at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. Like every good LRLR worker, Paul's always got a story to share. And he wants to tell these Corinthians what happened when the grace of God was given amongst the churches of Macedonia. Many years ago, there was a conference in Cambridge comparing different religions, experts from around the world were debating what is it that sets Christianity apart. Until a scholar named C.S. Lewis entered the room, he heard them debating, he said, that's easy. It's grace. Grace is what sets Christianity apart. Grace, undeserved, unmerited, unearned generosity. Grace is not us being good enough for God, climbing up to heaven with good deeds on the Buddhist eightfold path or in submission to Allah's will. No, grace is our God coming down, spending himself in love for us. Grace is the one true living God giving himself to us even though we have taken and taken and taken and taken again. So Paul begins this second letter to the Corinthians with grace to you. He boasts that in his ministry, he has behaved by the grace of God. And he appeals to the Corinthians not to receive the grace of God in vain. Because, and this is one of Paul's purposes for writing to Corinthians, it's all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The whole Bible, let alone this letter to the Corinthians, is bursting with grace. We've seen it, this whole ancon. Just as God promised to bless all nations, 
just as God so loved the world that he sent his only son. So Paul's vision for grace is global, that grace might extend, it might reach more and more people who are less reached, and so increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And that's why Paul will finish his letter with a famous and revolutionary prayer, asking that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be with you all. It's a revolutionary prayer, a dangerous prayer, because, well, what happens when God's grace shows up? Brothers and sisters, has God's grace shown up in your life? Has God's grace been at work amongst us, this ANCON? How would you know? Well, look at verse 1 again, where we will see just what happened when God's grace was given amongst the Macedonians. Because by grace, even those beggars begged to give. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have... Have what? (laughs) What does severe affliction plus abundant joy plus extreme poverty equal? And how did joy get in the middle of that equation? Well, when the grace of God shows up, joy abounds. And this crazy equation equals, do you see it there? A wealth of generosity. Now that is some crazy maths. The Macedonians, they were poor. They were persecuted, facing a massive test of affliction. And when God's grace showed up, it didn't take them out of their affliction. It didn't remove their poverty. There was no beefing up of their bank accounts. In fact, it was quite the opposite. God's grace poured into the Macedonians, whose joy burst the bonds of affliction and poverty, and an abundance of joy overflowed, literally abounded. It's the same word in Greek. An abundance of joy abounded in a wealth of generosity. A wealth of generosity because, look at verse 3, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. These Macedonians gave beyond their means, more than they could afford. I think we like the idea of generosity, maybe, but only if it doesn't cost too much. When was the last time that you gave something that cost you? When was the last time that gave you gave something that cost you what you want. I'm not talking about sliding your spare change into the Macca's donation box or rounding up your donation to the nearest dollar at Coles or Woolies. No, when was the last time you gave something that cost you what you want? Because you spent time serving our sisters and brothers at Focus Come Home Dinner, you couldn't go to the movie with your mates. Because you gave that money to your LRLR worker, you had to cancel that subscription to Netflix, Spotify, Disney+, Stan, Hulu, Amazon Prime, YouTube, uh, whatever. Or you had to give up your daily coffee. Used to be three bucks a day, a thousand bucks a year, now it's more. And how much of that? How much is that of a uni student budget? Now you might say to me, as my wife would, Seth, coffee is more than a want. Coffee is a need. But did you see these Macedonians? They are giving so much that it's costing them not only what they want, 
but even what they need. They are, verse 3, giving beyond their means. Reminds me of that story in the Gospels when Jesus stopped to watch that poor widow. Do you remember it? She placed her two coins in the temple treasury. We're told those two coins were everything that she had to live on. What was she going to eat that night? Now she can't afford what she needs, let alone what she wants. Although that's not entirely true, is it? Because both the Macedonians and that widow, they both did exactly what they wanted. Because when God's grace showed up, what they wanted was to give extravagantly, generously, beyond their means. And verse 4 tells us just how much they wanted to give, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In their own severe test of affliction, in the midst of extreme poverty, these Macedonian beggars were begging to give. It puts a whole new spin on, take my money. I've got a friend from America who told me the history of his church. During the Great Depression, before World War II, this small church ran a prayer meeting, and every week these poor believers would gather to pray and to encourage each other. One day someone stood up in the middle of the prayer meeting, and this is what they said. Life is hard for us, but how much harder would this be if we didn't have Jesus? And so this small church in the middle of extreme poverty decided to give more than they could afford. And they sent out their first missionary in the middle of the Great Depression. Have you thought about the limits of your generosity? I find it easier <laughs> to be generous to those close to me. My family, my friends, the church, the EU, maybe strangers I can see. But these Macedonians, they were begging to give globally. Not to their local church where they could experience some of the benefits not to their own ethnic tribe, but to the relief of the poor Jewish Christians they'd never met far away in Jerusalem. Hot dang, that is global generosity. As Paul says in verse 5, that is not what he expected. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. When God's grace is given... When God's grace grips the hearts of his people, they don't just give their money or their time or their expertise or whatever. This is not a sermon about money. They give themselves to the Lord and to his apostle. Have you given yourself to the Lord? Have you taken your dreams and your gifts and your plans and your priorities and given them to the Lord? The missionary who would go on to be a martyr in China, Peter Torgerson, was only 18 years old when he sat in a conference just like this, and he was gripped by God's grace. At the end of the conference, when a collection was taken up, Peter emptied his wallet into the collection, and he added a note on which he wrote three words, and my life. When God's grace shows up, by grace, even beggars beg to give globally. Grace is the source of global generosity. And Paul gets so excited about what's going on in Macedonia that he calls the Corinthians to come join the party. Come on, Corinthians. Verse 6. 
Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he'd started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You know, the Corinthians excelled. And this word for excelled is the same word Paul has used for the Macedonians' abundance of joy and their overflowing generosity. Same word. Because the Corinthians, they excelled, they abounded, they overflowed in so many gifts. Kind of like us here at Sydney Uni, they had faith. They knew Jesus. They would live forever with him. They were reached. And they were richly resourced. They had speech. They had Rowan, I mean Paul, and Laura, and Musa, and Celia, and tons of Howies, and faculty leaders, and ASGLs, and SSGLs. They had knowledge, Bibles, and small groups, and equip courses, and conferences. Do you know that if you've been to one ANCON, and you have, you have more training than most pastors in the world? They had earnestness. They even had the love of the apostle. And Paul didn't even mention money, which we know many of them had in wealthy Corinth. Yeah, the Corinthians excelled at everything. So they should also excel in this grace, this gift that makes all the other gifts work. Generosity. Because gifts, my friends, are forgiving. Near and far, local and global. That's why God has given you your gifts. Not for keeping for yourself, or for ourselves. No, God has enriched us to be generous and to excel in everything, to have every gift except the gift, the grace of generosity, would be to waste everything. Now, if it was me trying to solve this Corinthian problem, I'd probably want to resort to a guilt trip now, or at least start making some commands. But it's a good thing that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this, Look at verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Paul isn't giving commands. He isn't guilt-tripping the Corinthians. He wants their love to prove itself genuine as he compares them with the earnestness of others. By grace, even beggars beg to give. Come on, Corinthians. Because global generosity doesn't come from guilt, it comes from grace. And Corinthians, you know grace. And so Paul composes one of the greatest memory verses of all time. And it's not only another example of grace, it is the example of grace. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might be rich. Oh, he was rich. All things were made by him and through him and for him. Every mountain and every molecule, every star in the sky and every shell in the sea belonged to God the Son. But nothing could compare with what he had even before anything was made. For he always was in very nature God, equal with his Father who loved him, and the Holy Spirit who bound their love in perfect glory from all eternity past. He was rich. Yet for your sake, 
for the sake of all who would call upon his name from all nations. In the greatest act of global generosity, yet for your sake, he became poor. Our Lord left the heights of heaven to be born in a stable. He borrowed a boat to preach from, a donkey to ride on, a room for his last supper, a tomb for his body. And on that cross, our Lord Jesus spent himself, crucified on a cross of wood, though he made the hill on which it stood. For your sake, he became poor, so poor. We weren't even his friends. And he spent himself for us so that you, by his poverty, might be rich, sharing his glory for all eternity. If the grace of our Lord Jesus doesn't make you want to give your life away, nothing will. But Paul's not done. And what he does next is not what I expected. In the outline, we're skipping to point three. Giving globally is good for you. Let's pick it up from verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. What? Paul doesn't tell the Corinthians how awesome it would be for those poor Jewish believers to get some moolah. No, he tells the Corinthians that global generosity would be good for them. This benefits you. Global generosity is good for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that thing that Jesus said when he said it's more blessed to give than receive? I think that's what the Macedonians believed. We skipped over it, but it's there back in verse 4. Those Macedonians were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Come on, Paul, please let me give. Don't rob me of this favor. And in Greek, the word for favor is grace. It's the same word. Do you see global generosity as a favor, a privilege, a grace? These Macedonians, they are grace junkies. Grace was given to them, and now they're begging for more. Begging Paul for a part of the grace party. Begging Paul for the privilege of giving globally. Paul says, in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. And then he spends the rest of this chapter and the next explaining why generosity would be so good for the Corinthians. Let me show you just two reasons why global generosity is so good. Two reasons. True prosperity and global thanksgiving. First, global generosity is good for the Corinthians and good for us because generosity is true prosperity. Jump down with me in your Bibles, or you'll see on the screen, to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency at all times, you may abound in every good work. Resources, they're just not scarce in God's economy. 
In God's economy, we don't need to grasp at zero-sum gains or live greed's empty lie that there's never enough for me. In God's economy, you don't need to feel inadequate, like you've got nothing to give. In God's economy, you are not the only one looking out for you. No, in God's economy, where Macedonian beggars beg to give and widows offer all their coins, where our rich Lord Jesus became poor so you might be rich, in God's economy, there is always enough for every good work. God is able to give all grace, all sufficiency at all times so that you may abound. Don't you want to abound? To live a life abounding in every good work? Don't you want to reap bountifully, then so bountifully give your gifts away. And not so that you can have more to keep, right? That's the problem with the so-called prosperity gospel. Give your money to Reverend Dollar and God will make you happy and wealthy and beautiful and prosperous. Give your money so you can get, because getting's where the fun at. What a lie! Giving! is where the good stuff is. We know that. Don't you love it when you choose just the perfect gift for that family or friend? One of my favorite things about Christmas is helping my kids buy presents for my wife. Does my wife really want that lollipop and that ugly stuffed toy? No, but I help my kids buy it and they wrap it up. And on Christmas morning, I have the joy as I watch pure joy unfold as they give their gifts away, as they learn the secret that giving is where the good stuff is. No, we don't give to get. We give so that we will get to give some more. God loves to give so that givers can keep on giving because giving is true prosperity. As Paul puts it there in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. God is the gift who keeps on giving so that you can keep on giving. When my family was working with the LRLR, we received a letter from a supporter, and I just want to read it to you. This is what it said. Hello, brother. I want to share something with you. Recently, I changed gyms from an okay, standard one, to a fancy, more expensive one. It's $20 more per week. This in itself is a story, but it was actually really good for me to accept the blessing of God in this way. Anyway, last Sunday when you spoke, I realized that the extra $20 per week I'm paying would be better invested in the less reached than in a better gym. In eternity, which investment would I value more? Which one would I regret? The answer's a no-brainer. Today I arranged to finish at the fancy gym in a few weeks and then restart at the average one. I feel such happiness in doing so. My wife is cheering me on. I kind of feel God is cheering me on in this too. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you want to live like that? Giving is good for you. True prosperity is found in the God who loves to give so that you can keep on giving. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean you'll necessarily have a lot in this life. In this life, you might be more of a two-coin widow, more of a poor Macedonian than a wealthy Corinthian, sweating it out in a not-so-fancy gym. But even then, you will get to give. 
And this promise that true prosperity lies in giving, that sooner or later God gives cheerful givers more to give, is a promise secured by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus from the dead to life everlasting. Because even if you sow your last breath with Jesus, you will reap his bounty of heavenly reward and share his life forever. The great missionary and martyr Jim Elliot, he once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Sometimes you'll be giving out of poverty and the price will be high, but the price will always be more than worth it. Finally, giving is good for the Corinthians and for us because global generosity will succeed in its goal of global thanksgiving. Look with me at verse 11 where we see the results of global generosity. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Do you see how confident Paul is that if the Corinthians give generously, not only will the needs of the poor saints be met, Not only will a bond of love be created between Jewish believers longing for and praying for Gentile believers, but this gift will succeed. It will overflow in many thanksgivings to God. That was Paul's purpose statement back in chapter 4, do you remember? He said, it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul says, come on, Corinthians, give and the globe will overflow with thanksgiving. I love that for Paul, it's all interconnected. Giving is good for the Corinthians, it's good for the saints, it's good for God, it's good for all others. Do you see that there in verse 13? Somehow, this particular contribution wasn't just for the poor saints. It wasn't just for them. Paul writes in, it was for all others. It's a truly global vision, a butterfly effect of a gift that keeps on giving from then till tonight, till the world is full of thanksgiving to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul had a Corinthian problem, but he took them on a grace trip. He showed them that by grace, even beggars beg to give because global generosity is good for them, true prosperity, and good for all others, global thanksgiving. And if you're wondering, those Corinthians came to the party. They realized what they were missing out on. They dug deep and they kept their pledge. And global thanksgiving has erupted across the world. What about us? As we turn back to point two of your booklets and the LRLR pledge, let's be clear. Obviously, we aren't first century Corinthians. Paul isn't asking us to take up a collection tonight for the poor Jews in Jerusalem. 
No, we are 21st century staff, students, grads, and supporters of the EU at the university ranked first in Australia and fourth in the world for graduate employability. (laughs) And although there are many needs in our world, many opportunities for generosity near and far, tonight I want you to especially consider with me the needs of the less reached and the less resourced. We've heard about them already. Less reached. Suburbs, even in Sydney, where you'd be lucky to find a classmate, a neighbor, a friend who would love you enough to tell you about Jesus. Millions of precious people made in God's image scattered throughout the world who are living and dying without even a chance to hear about Jesus. My mate Tom, who lives overseas where my family served the LRLR, Tom grew up in a Buddhist culture, and for the first 20 years of his life, he never even knew there was a Christian faith. He had never met a single Christian. Out of his whole people group, 2.2 million people, that's half the population of Sydney, there are less Christians in his whole people group than there are in your faculty here at Ancon, even the smallest faculty amongst us. Less reached and less resourced. Country towns where the church is so small that one servant-hearted believer, well-trained, willing to move, could make a massive difference. Struggling churches all around the world, Christian leaders with less training than an EU grad. God's people around the world without Bibles, let alone all the books in the bookstore. Every time I walk back there, I think of my mate Tom, who doesn't even have a Bible in his own language, let alone all the treasures, tables topped with treasure. Tonight, our opportunity for global generosity is the less reached and the less resourced. In a world of constant fear, where we're told we don't have enough and we need to get by taking, we've seen the power of God's grace and how good it is to give. And we, you, really do have an opportunity to leverage your life for the life of the less reached and the less resourced. Some of us, by staying and sending, and others of us by going. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to consider making the LRLR pledge. It's going to come up on the screen now. This is what I'll ask you to consider doing. Will you commit for the next five years to prayerfully consider going to serve the LRLR in cross-cultural Sydney, the rest of Australia, or overseas? And will you commit to doing something in the next 12 months? to serve the LRLR with the gospel. As you can see, the pledge commits to two actions. The first is prayerfully considering. For the next five years, that's from now through uni and beyond, five years considering prayerfully going to serve the LRLR. Could be in cross-cultural Sydney, the rest of Australia, or overseas. And to be clear, Going to serve the LRLR, as we heard from Rowan in the video, does not necessarily mean becoming a full-time gospel worker. I am praying that many of you will leave your careers and go to the LRLR as full-time gospel workers. The LRLR need evangelists and pastors. They need student workers and preachers. And there'll be more opportunity to think about full-time gospel work tomorrow night. But you don't have to be 
a full-time gospel worker to serve the LRLR. There are so many LRLR places in Australia and throughout the world where your so-called secular gifts could be used creatively to make opportunities for Jesus and sharing his gospel. There are so many creative ways to use all of your gifts, your education, your relationships, your experience to serve the less reached and the less resourced. One of our LRLR workers, uh, MG, sent me this Google Doc with pages and pages of ideas. She's got ideas for people with skills as diverse as architecture and design, vet skills, programming skills, statistics, project management, psychology. The list just goes on. If you want to see that list, come talk with me. I'd love to overhear conversations here at Ancon where we are scheming for how we could use our gifts, how we could get our gifts to the LRLR. I've even got this story about how a businessman used his hobby, which was high-altitude hovercrafting, to reach a people for Jesus. I've got a story about a guy who liked mountain climbing who joined a mission agency called Climbers for Christ. How good is that? And he used that to reach people for Jesus. He was the guy who first told the gospel to my mate Tom. The first part of the pledge commits to prayerfully consider going later. But the second part of the pledge is about now, the next 12 months, doing something now to serve the LRLR with the gospel. Now, there are so many ways that you could serve the LRLR over the next 12 months, whether or not you make the pledge tonight. I mean, you could invest your money in an LRLR worker and set up monthly transfers tonight. Tonight, you and some of your mates could start praying daily or weekly or monthly for a particular people group or for your LRLR worker. You could join Focus and you could welcome international students, or serve our precious Muslim neighbors with Kuzmin, or sign up for an LRLR missions. There are just so many ways that you could give yourself to the LRLR now, and there'll be rest, there'll be time in the rest of tonight, in the session, and after the session, in the optional LRLR cafe, if you'd like to come along and consider with us how you might leverage your life now for the LRLR. Let me be clear, this pledge is optional But love for the LRLR is not optional. Everyone gets to love the less reached and the less resourced. Everyone who is called to Christ is commissioned for the sake of all nations. And whether you make a pledge or not, you are called to play a part in our Father's plans to bless all nations. You can leave here tonight without signing a pledge. But if you are a Christian, you cannot leave here tonight without considering how God's grace ought to shape your life for global generosity. We all have gifts to give, and love for the LRLR is not optional. But making this pledge is. You won't be second-rate if you don't make the pledge tonight. You shouldn't feel pressured by me or the mood of the moment or by just being exhausted or affected by the cold or something. I don't know. Remember, Paul was not pressuring the Corinthians with a command. He wasn't taking them on a guilt trip, but on a grace trip. Because only by grace do beggars beg to give globally. And there may be good reasons not to make this pledge. Maybe you've already prayerfully considered going to serve the LRLR, and it's become clear that you can't, perhaps for health reasons in your family, yourself, or other godly responsibilities. Maybe this LRLR thing is new to you. You're not quite sure about it. You need some more time to prayerfully reflect on God's word and ask questions so that you might be clear and completely convinced about God's global generosity for the LRLR. Love for the LRLR isn't optional, but this pledge is. That being said, 
If God's spirit has been at work amongst you, if you've been gripped by God's glorious grace, if your LRR workers and what you've heard have so challenged you and you long to give yourself to consider how you might use your life and all of your treasure for the sake of the one who became poor so you might be rich enough to give life away and live forever, then don't lose or miss this opportunity. In a moment, I'm going to stop talking. Wonderful. And you will have some time to reflect and pray about everything you've heard tonight and consider how you might respond. Then after a few moments for reflection, a minute or something like that, I'm going to stand up again and I'm going to invite those of you who've decided in your hearts, not reluctantly or under compulsion, to scan a QR code which is going to come up on the screen and to fill in your details while everyone else continues to reflect. Uh, Then I'm going to invite whoever wants to make that pledge, whoever's done the QR code, to stand amidst us and repeat the pledge after me, to make the pledge. Uh, Then someone's going to lead us in a prayer for the pledgers and for the LRLR. So that's where we're going. Take two minutes to reflect and pray on God's global generosity and your response.